Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. And it's talking about how Jesus Christ is supreme. So Colossians chapter 1, verse 15. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. My wife, that's what they did first service too. Not a good way to start apparently. My wife hates to be the center of attention. Hates it. Just shrinks away every chance that she gets. She played basketball in high school, and she told me recently that she hated shooting free throws during basketball in high school because everyone was looking only at her. When we got married and everyone stood and turned to look at her as she came down the aisle, she said, that was my nightmare. That was the, I couldn't help but look down. I was blushing. She does not like to be the center of the tension, center of attention. On the other hand, I <laughs> do not mind being the center of attention. I figured out fairly early on uh, that I could make my friends laugh and became the class clown in middle school. I've got the yearbook picture with the clown wig on to prove it. Uh, and I figured out, too, that I was smart enough that I could manipulate when and how I got attention. And so I would think of something that was really funny but would get us in trouble. And so I'd get my friends to do it. And then they would know it was my idea and we laughed about it, but they got in trouble. And I went to a private uh, Christian school at the time and they gave out spankings. And my friends all got spankings, but they could never prove that I was involved. I like to be the center, and still to this day, there's a part of me that doesn't mind being this, I, in my job with Young Life, I get to do a lot of really silly things, and I get to put on costumes quite a bit, and I got a really nice mullet wig just this last week, and uh, tomorrow I even will put on a costume and, and do some ridiculous things and get kids to laugh, because um, I kind of like being the center of attention. My wife does not like it when I make myself the center of attention sometimes, and will even give me the old elbow, like everybody's looking at you, and I say, that's kind of the point, and then she gets really embarrassed, because when I want attention, it's obnoxious, to be honest. When I want attention, it's all about me, but when Jesus is the center, not just of attention, but of everything, but of our world, when Jesus is the center, that's when things are as they should be. That Jesus is supreme. That Jesus is what it is all about. 
that Jesus is God himself, that Jesus is the focal point of the redemptive plan of history, that Jesus is and should be the center of everything. And we're going to look at this passage today, which is so rich and says so much about Jesus and who he is and teaches us so we could spend so much time thinking about the truths of this short little passage, but I just want to look at a few with you. And, and as we walk through it, I'm going to make reference to John chapter 1 as well, because there's many parallels in these two great Christological passages that teach us about this great Jesus. This great Jesus who is the image of the invisible God. The image of the invisible God. So much different than when God created male and female in the image of God, he created them. This is, this is not what we're talking about. Jesus Christ is the exact likeness of who God is. That Jesus Christ is God himself. That Jesus is co-eternal, co-divine, has always existed as a member of the Trinity, as God himself. Jesus Christ is the image of the invisible God, the picture of what God is like. John says that no one has ever seen God, but Jesus Christ has made him known. If you want to know what God is like, look at Jesus. He is God, the exact representation of his nature. At the end of our passage, it says, In him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. He is fully God. Jesus Christ is the God of the universe. He really is the center of everything. And he is the firstborn of creation. The firstborn, not that he was created or born, but by right of position, by right of the nature of who he is, he is the ruler of all things. He is first. He is primary just because of who he is as the son of God himself. Jesus Christ is supreme. By position, he is ruler of all things. And all stories point to Jesus. I, I love that resource that we've got this month, the Jesus Storybook Bible. Because it does, it, it illustrates so well that Jesus is the hero of every story, on every page, from the very beginning. It's all about Jesus. As we've looked through Genesis and we've seen the promises that happen, even as humanity is breaking the world, God is promising Jesus, the snake crusher, the one who would come and be a blessing to all people. As he calls Abraham out, the promise that he makes to Abraham includes the promise of Jesus. It culminates in the promise of Jesus, who would be the one from that family line through whom God would rescue the world, through whom he would bless all people. Jesus Christ is supreme. And he is the one who created he is the creator of the world. It says in 16, by him all things were created, whether on heaven or earth, visible, invisible, thrones, dominions, or authority, everything has been created by Jesus. Jesus is the agent of creation. That Jesus is the means by which God created the world. Jesus is the one who created. 
Again, look at John chapter 1. It says, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and that Word was what created the world. If you have time, just spend some time looking at the first few verses of chapter 1 of Genesis and the first few paragraphs of John chapter 1. And look at the parallels where it says, in the beginning, that God always existed, that in the beginning God was there. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning there was Jesus. Jesus was there. And then think, God said, let there be light. God spoke the world into existence. Jesus Christ is the Word who is God. That there's some mystery there that that we could spend forever contemplating. That Jesus Christ is connected to that spoken Word by which God created. That He is the wisdom and the creative power of God Himself. And God said, let there be light. And John 1 says, in him was life, and that life was the light of men. The light came into the world, and the darkness has not overcome it. And we could spend so much time just thinking about that. Jesus Christ is who created the world. Everything that is, whether the things that we see, the visible and the invisible, everything that exists is because of him. He is the pre-existent one, the independent one. Everything else that exists is dependent upon his existence. He is the only one who exists of his own accord. He is, he is the source of what is. There's these, these debates which are going on in our culture today, these moral revolutions, and there's this struggle of, of rights, of what I say is my right. And then I have the power to choose whatever I want, the way that I want to live my life. But I heard this phrase recently that I really love, and it's that ontology trumps autonomy always. Ontology is the study of being, of what is, of existence. And autonomy is the idea that I am free to make my own choices, that I have the power to do whatever I want. And yes, I can make choices, and yes, I can decide what to call myself or what I want to be, but there is a truth of what exists, of what is, and what is is God, only God and what comes from him. That when Moses asked God on the mountain, who shall I say is sending me to the people? The people want to know your name. God said, my name is, I am, I am that I am. That's who I am. I am the one who exists. That's who I am. I am the the source of all reality. I am the only independent, pre-existent one. Jesus is the one who created the world ex nihilo, which means out of nothing. Everything flows from him as its source. And... Not only did he create the world, not only was all things created through him, but those last two words in verse 16 are so, so significant. Everything was made through him and for him. For him. That is why the world exists. For him. This commentary says it this way, as God, Jesus created the material and spiritual universe for his pleasure and glory. That is why anything exists, 
for him. The world is his, and everything points to the glory of Jesus Christ. And one of the things that we can see just in, in our own experience that points to that fact is the idea that everybody worships. We are all worshipers. Some in our world today worship wealth, some beauty and youth, some fame or power or celebrity, but everybody worships. And this one definition that I love of worship is that worship is delight fulfilled. That worship is the overflow of my delight in something that I can't help but tell you about. When I think of delight fulfilled, I think of food. And let's not make more of that than we have to. I think also of the movie, What About Bob? I don't know if you've seen it, but there's a scene where he's sitting down to eat at the meal with the family, and he can't help himself. He's like, mmm, mmm, this is so good. Oh, this is delicious. Wow, this corn fay, is this hand chucked? <laughs> Which is hilarious. But I'm like that. I'm a delighted eater. If I find something great, I'm going to tell you, you're going to know about it. Oh, this is so, mm, this is delicious. And if I'm in a restaurant, my wife's going to go, be quiet, everybody's looking. But I can't help myself that it just overflows from my delight. And I want to tell you about it. Man, if I find something great, I want to tell you about it. You've got to go to this dumpling place in the mall. It's unbelievable. It's so fresh and delicious and they keep bringing them out and it's so good. Or, or, or you've got to read this book that I just read. It's so good, and the story and the characters are so great. You've got to see this movie. It's, inc- it's hilarious. I fell out of my chair. I can't help but tell you about it. Everybody worships the overflow of my delight. I have to express it. I can't keep it in. Because that's why we were created, for worship, for Jesus, that Jesus should be so much welling up in our hearts that it overflows, and I can't help but tell you, you've got to know this Jesus. He created everything. There is nothing that has been made without him. Without him, nothing has been made that has been made. And this Jesus rescued me. This Jesus, I can't help but tell you about it, that it so has taken over my life that that's why, we, that's why we exist, to make him look glorious. All things were made through him and for him. That is the answer to the question, why is there something rather than nothing? For his glory, for Jesus. But it does bring up some questions, and there's some valid, valid pushback on some of those things. Like people say, if God is all-powerful and all-loving, why is there suffering in the world? There's a question in philosophy and theology that says, is this the best of all possible worlds? Is this, is this really the best that God could do, could create? Because sometimes it's hard, and it hurts, and there's pain. And there's no easy answers to that, but there is some things that the Bible has to say. 
first is that creation speaks to his glory. The fact that, that there is something says something about the power and the creative ability of God himself. That in Romans 1, it says that his divine attributes and his power are clearly known by what we can see. Just look at the mountains. Just look at the beauty of the river valley. The heavens declare the glory of God. The world exists, and that shows that God is good. And there is good news that amongst all the brokenness of the world, there is the gospel. That as we heard from Ephesians 2, that the youth group spent time looking into, that, that by grace we have been saved, we have been rescued and there's that passage, oh, i got to look it up again because I forgot what it says, but it's so good that the reason of this grace and this mercy that Jack talked about last week so well, that, that the, saves the worst of us sinners, by grace we have been saved so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The world is good because Jesus redeems it. The world makes Jesus look glorious because he comes to rescue from death. I was dead, as Ephesians told. I was in a state of death, and Jesus came. That makes him look glorious. If you knew my sin, you would say, Jesus is incredible. The gospel shows his mercy, and if we had more time, we would look carefully at Romans chapter 9, where God says, it, it harkens back to when God spoke to Moses and said, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. And then it talks about Pharaoh's heart and the hardening of Pharaoh's heart and how that Hardening of heart served to show the glory of God because God demonstrated his power and his love for his people by the miracles of the Exodus and him bringing them out of slavery. It's not, it's not easy answers. I heard, I heard a, a deconversion story recently, someone who used to believe in Jesus and now doesn't. And one of the questions that they asked was, if I don't have to believe in a God who would send millions of people to hell, why would I? And the answer is because you do have to believe that. Because that is what is. That is reality. And it's not easy. It's not an easy answer. And if you want to talk more about that, you're going to have to wait until Jeff's voice is fully healed healed so that he can really explain it to you. <laughs> but we also hold on to the truth of 2 Peter chapter 3, where God is not willing that any should perish, but he desires that all should come to repentance. God loves the whole world. And, and yes, some of us run towards our own destruction, and God will forever prove his holiness and punish wickedness and banish the enemies to all that is good. But he, he, he loves us. He wants us all to come to repentance and redemption. But it is 
this world is good because he says it is. And this world points to his glory because he says, because he is supreme. I really, Jesus Christ is supreme. I love that we have it on the wall back here to remind us as Jeff's preaching or whoever's up here as we look at the scriptures that the center of it all is Jesus because Jesus Christ is supreme, is worthy of all worship. He is the only one worthy of worship, central to everything that we talk about. Every story points to Jesus He created all things. And then in 17, he is before all things. He is eternal. He's always existed. He was never born or created. He always is and was and will be in a way that our minds can't even comprehend. I can't think of eternity. I can't comprehend eternity past that God always was. And then there was the world. And then God always will be. Jesus Christ is before all things. In the present tense, he is before all things. And he holds all things together. What a concept that is. He holds all things together. You and I and everything that you can see and touch is mostly empty space. That the atoms which make up our bodies and the physical world are mostly empty space. You've got the the nucleus of an atom and then electrons which circle around them. And if the nucleus of an atom was the size of a tennis ball, then the electrons would be a mile away or more. That there is mostly empty space in who we are, in, in the physical world that exists. And whether it stays together by gravity or electromagnetism or whatever that force is, it's because Jesus says so. That my atoms in my body hold together because Jesus is actively holding them together. That in him all things consist. In him we live and move and have our being. He is holding it all together. I watch sometimes some political TV shows and politics aside, it's sometimes interesting to watch the drama of like the staff who work at the White House. And there's this phrase that sometimes as the staff get questioned that they say in response, um, which could come from the reality, I don't know much about the real staff of the White House, but they say this in these shows, I serve at the pleasure of the president. That's a deep kind of phrase. And I would say this to you, I exist at the pleasure of my God that I hold together because he says so. That without him... I would fall apart into chaos. He is actively holding all things together. And he reigns. He rules. Paul, in writing Colossians, is writing to the church and he reminds them he is the head of the body, the church. He is in charge of us. He is the head of all that we do. He is the chief shepherd of us gathered together. He is in charge. He reigns. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. So now he's firstborn, again, not just of creation, but of the new creation. Not just of the world as it exists, but as he defeated death, he takes his position as the rightful place based on who he is of the new creation, of the new heavens and the new earth, of the life after death. 
He is preeminent. He rules. Not just as creator, but as redeemer. Not just the one who spoke us into existence, but the one who rescued us. That in all things, he might be preeminent. The top, nothing above, nothing compares, nothing challenges him. He rules. Jesus Christ is in charge of everything. There's this quote by Abraham Kuyper who says, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. Mine. Every sphere of your life, Jesus says, I'm in charge of that. And sin is when we say, no, I think I can do a better job, thank you. Sin is when we say, I want to be in charge of that area of my life. I want to be in charge of my finances or my sex life or my entertainment or whatever the case may be, what I do with my time. I want to do it. And Jesus Christ says, no, I'm in charge. Mine. I reign. I rule in all things. Every single thing, he is preeminent. In all things were created for him. This world exists for his pleasure and his glory. God's highest delight is in himself. All great works are for the glory of his name, for his benefit, this one in whom the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. If that were something that I said about myself, if, if my highest good was my own name, if I said that I was for me above all things, then it would be sin, it would be pride and arrogance. Because if I tell you that I am awesome, it's a lie. Because I'm not. I am a wicked sinner. The worst of the worst. Anything good that you see in me, anything, is by the grace of God. In fact, the fact that I exist is by the grace of God. My very continued existence is a gift from above. So even if there is some talent or goodness in me, it is not because of me. It was not of my own doing or choice. It's because Jesus made me that way. And it points to his glory. It glorifies him and not me. It is not arrogance for God to be for himself as the highest good because he is the highest good. Jonathan Edwards said it this way, God had respect to himself as the highest end or goal in this work of creation because he is worthy in himself to be so, being infinitely the greatest and best of beings. All things else with regard to worthiness, importance, and excellence are perfectly as nothing in comparison to him. God has to have himself as the highest good because he is. Because anything else compared to him is like nothing. He's of worthless value. Jesus Christ is the highest good. This world exists for the glory of his name. And he will reconcile all things to himself, whether on earth or in heaven making peace by the blood of his cross. He will reconcile all things. He will put all things to rights. 
I love what he says at the very, very end. When Jesus speaks in Revelation 21, verse 5, he says, Behold, I am making all things new. I'm fixing it all. Behold, watch what I'm going to do. And he will reconcile all things to himself, making peace by the blood of his cross. That the power of, of what he did on the cross is unbelievable. In fact, as I was preparing this week and thinking about the greatness of Jesus, the majesty of Jesus, the creator of everything, I was struck again by the fact that he emptied himself. That the great God of the universe chose and did not consider equality with God something to hold on to with closed fist. Did not consider his rights and authority as God something that he had to keep, but he humbled himself. He didn't have to. He is God. And he humbled himself and became obedient to death. He became found in the likeness of a servant and then suffered and died in the worst way imaginable, was tortured, that this Jesus who created all things, who alone is worthy of praise, who is eternal and holds all things together, who is incomparable, who is the head of God's work on earth, who has the power to defeat death itself, who will make all things new and reconcile all things to himself, this Jesus emptied himself. This is the very one who became a servant and lived on dusty roads with broken people. He was poor, disrespected, mistreated, bruised, abandoned, broken, humiliated, stripped, mocked, tortured, and killed. So that you could have a way back to right standing with God. To make a way for you to be together with him in paradise. And paradise can only be described as where God is as his presence. As the psalmist says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Jesus made a way so that we could enjoy his presence forever, so that we could sing his praises forever, so that we could worship him, so that the goodness of who he is could overflow in our hearts forever. How could he not be the hero of your story? How could I choose to say mine to any area of my life and not let him rule and reign? And think about, think about this, what Jesus said as they were crucifying him. In Luke chapter 23, he said, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. What were they doing? Consider the gravity of what they were doing, of what... I, was, I participated in that. It was my sin that held him there. I called out among the scoffers. The, the, the God of the universe was being nailed to a tree that he created, that he spoke into existence, that held together actively by him at that moment. Think about the gravity of the greatest crime ever to happen in the universe. And he said, forgive them. They don't understand. 
In fact, that's why he was doing it. That's why he came, so that we could be forgiven. That we could sing forever. That we could join with the chorus in heaven, which sounds like this in Revelation chapter 5. And I looked and I heard around the throne and the living creatures and the elders, the voice of many angels, numbering myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. And I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and all that is in them saying, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be blessing and honor and glory and might forever and ever, forever and ever. We will sing, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain who died for us. We will never, in eternity, millions and billions of years, never forget that Jesus, this Jesus who is supreme, died for us, gave himself for us. Here's what I want for us, for myself and for us as a people, to be so amazed at the truth of Jesus so enamored with his beauty, so moved by his compassion, so overwhelmed by his sacrifice, so in awe at his power and resurrection that we can do nothing else but orient our very lives around him. That he is the center of everything. That we could say with Paul, as he says in Galatians, I am crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In this life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus, you're, you're so good that my life, I give up for you. Live through me. Do something good. I, I, you gave me life. You spoke me into existence. And then I chose death. And then you gave me life again. Life that would last forever. So have no claim to it, it's yours. Do with it what you want. Make of me what you want. Be supreme in my life. Reign in every area of, of who I am. Forgive me when I fall short. Let's pray.